0: Well, good morning, Riv. It's good to be here with all of you. My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here, uh, but I'm not usually here at the Holt Venue. As my role as pastor, uh, my primary role is that I am also the West Side Venue Director. Uh, so I get to go to Horrocks after church whenever I want, uh, which is pretty great. Uh, but the Holt Venue uh, was where I spent uh, many of my formative years as a younger Christian, coming uh, here uh, as a teenager with my friends and Drinking way too much coffee, uh, as I uh, heard the word preach. so it's good to be back here this morning. Uh, 25 years ago, a Syracuse University professor, uh, she wrote an article criticizing Christianity when she discovered that a national Christian ministry was organizing an event on her campus. And she was a tenured professor. Uh, She was very intelligent, very well-researched, and she was very much against the idea of this ministry coming in and sharing their ideas with the students that she was commissioned to lead. She herself had grown up in the Catholic church. She was very familiar with Christianity, and she was very much opposed to it with the topics that she taught, how she lived her life, and really the things that she fought for. And after her critique was, was published, it was just in a local newspaper, she began to receive letters from people who who read what she wrote. And the letters flooded in, so much more so than she would have ever expected. And and the the letters really fell into two different categories. She got fan mail, and she got hate mail. And she received so many letters, she said she had two empty printer paper boxes. You have that in your mind? She had one on each side of her desk. As she would read the letters, she would throw them in the fan mail over here, or the vitriol (laughs) over here. But in the midst of every letter that she got, she got one that she didn't know what to do with. And she didn't know what to do with it because it didn't praise her for what she wrote, but it also didn't communicate this extreme dislike or hatred for her. And because this letter was so different, she didn't know where to put it, she found herself reading it over and over again. That letter stayed on her desk for a week. She prided herself on having a very clean desk, (laughs) but this letter stayed there for a week. She just didn't know what to do. And the letter she received, it was from a local church pastor who had encouraged her to to really think about why she believed what she did. in, In the letter, he posed questions like, you know, how did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know that you're right? I mean, do you believe in God yourself? And while the pastor didn't debate what she wrote in the article, he did ask her to defend the claims that she made. And as she read and reread the letter, and she thought about it for a long time, the thing that set that letter apart from every other one that maybe disagreed with her a little bit was its kindness. She said that it is the kindest letter of opposition she has ever received. We're continuing on in a series here at RIV that we're calling Of the Spirit, where we're looking at the ways God makes us more like Jesus as we grow in our faith. These are the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5. They come about in us through God's work. And one of those things on that list is the word kindness. You know, oftentimes I think we think of kindness as just niceness, right? It's it's being friendly or, or it's being agreeable. A few weeks ago, my wife was with our sons. uh, They're seven and four. And she heard one of them yell at the top of his lungs to the other, you're not doing the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) You're not doing kindness. And I was like, they're learning this stuff at church. All right. Like, this is cool. Um, But then I also did think, there's probably a better way uh, to redirect your brother. You know, I mean, gentleness, maybe that's the sermon coming up in a few weeks. Um, But kindness, it's something so much more than just being friendly. Kindness, biblical kindness is a tender concern. It's benevolence, compassion, generosity. It's a heart posture that we have towards others that leads us to love and to serve them. And kindness has an unusual power to it sometimes. There is something about kindness that can be disarming, that can cause people to question, why would they do that for me? I mean, think about that professor as she read that letter. There was something about its kindness that caused her to read it over and over again. There was something about its tender concern that made her stop and consider her beliefs her worldview if she's really thought about God in the ways that this pastor had encouraged her to. There's great power in kindness, and we're gonna see that as we open the Bible today and look in the scripture together. You know, when you look in the New Testament, that word kindness, it doesn't appear as often as these other fruit of the spirit that we've seen so far, things like love and joy and peace and patience. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word that we have that translates into the English word kindness is this word krestotes. And you actually only see that word about eight times in the New Testament. You know, and other words that could translate into that Crestotes word are the words that I just shared. Tender concern, benevolence, generosity, compassion. And when we see those words in the scripture, we kind of see this kindness worked out in two primary ways. First, we see it worked out in us, in this posture that we have toward other people. But we also see it as a key character quality of God himself that he's kind. And we see this really clearly in the book of Romans. Back in the fall of 2020 and into 2021, we worked our way through the book of Romans. If you've been at RIV for a little while, you went through that series with us. It was 33 weeks long that we chunked up into three different seasons. So it took us a long time. And the reason it took us so long was because Romans is a dense and theological and significant letter. You go through it slowly. and the beginning of Romans... It paints a pretty sobering picture of the situation we're in as human beings. It discusses how in our humanity, we reject God and we worship things that he's created instead of him. The Bible word for that is idolatry. We live with other things at the center of our life instead of God, things like success, or money or relationships or, or comfort. Romans 1 says, we exchange the glory of God for created things. And we do this because of our sin nature, this inherent posture of our heart that is that is really dialed into self instead of others or instead of God. And the beginning of Romans lays this out, but it also lays out the fruit of this and what comes forth in God's judgment. We see this in Romans chapter 2. Starting in verse 3 and in verse 5, it says this, Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things, that exchanging, right? If you're judging other people, do you think that you will escape God's judgment yourself? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed, Paul reaches the crescendo of his argument here later on in chapter 3 when he concludes that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. This is the bad news that's before us in our humanity, that that our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. And we see here in verse 3 and verse 5 that because of God's holiness, because of his perfect justice and his hatred of sin, that there will be a future judgment of humanity. And I think when we read these verses, we can begin to get a picture of God in our minds that we want to turn away from rather than run to. Because the picture painted by these verses is that God is a harsh judge, that he's not actually a loving father. But see, that's not the whole picture. There is a verse sandwiched in between verse 3 and verse 5 that I didn't read a minute ago, I'm going to read now, that helps us. See God differently. Here it is with verse 3. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Then verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In the middle of two warnings about the judgment of God, Paul calls to mind God's kindness. Not just a little bit, the riches of his kindness. A.W. Tozer famously wrote that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What word comes into your mind when you think about God? Is it Creator? He's all knowing, that he's big, that he's a judge. Maybe that he's disinterested. How about the word kind? In verse 4, Paul is challenging these Roman Christians in their view of God by sharing three words that when they're exchanging the glory of God for created things, they are rejecting three key parts of who God is. God's kindness, his patience, and his restraint. See, God's kindness is seen in the ways that he provides For us and cares for us in our humanity, believers and non-believers. God's restraint is seen in how He delays rightful judgment for those who deserve it, all of us. And God's patience, as we heard about last week, is seen in not wanting any one of us to perish, but to come to faith in him. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Noel talked about that last week. We push aside the kindness and restraint and patience of God when we continue to reject Him. When we live for ourselves, verse five describes the fruit of that and in our heart—what it looks like. It's hardened and it's unrepentant. But I think back to that letter that that pastor wrote to the professor, and how it was his kindness, it wasn't his clever arguments, it wasn't his research, it wasn't his judgment that caused her to think about who God really is. The kindness of God is intended to lead you toward repentance, to turning from your sin and to trusting in Christ in his life, death, and resurrection for your sins. God is being patient with us. While God is a holy judge, while he's perfectly just, and while he does hate sin, it is his hope that the crowning jewel of his creation, you, me, other men, other women, other children, that we would repent. And it's his kindness, it's his compassion, his benevolent heart, his tender care for us that is meant to lead us to that faith in him. You know, we see this kindness all throughout the gospels. When we look at Jesus, how he lived, what he did. There's four mini biographies of Jesus' life and his ministry in the New Testament, and they're the gospels according to specific people, the gospel according to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. The hope of these gospels is to put Jesus on display so that we would believe. And one day, early on in Jesus' ministry, he had gathered his disciples, and he sat down on a mountainside to teach them. And at this point, people were beginning to hear about who Jesus was. And so they kind of crowded up to, and they, they heard him teach. And it was this teaching that Jesus was helping them understand what life in him was like. He taught them how to pray, taught them what it means to love your enemies, the cure for anxiety, what it means to be a generous person. And after this teaching, he actually begins walking down the mountainside. His disciples are following him. The people are following him. And he has this crazy interaction. In Matthew chapter eight, verse one, it's just a few verses. Look at what happens. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Okay. So we get the scene. Jesus is walking down the mountain has just taught. He's going off with his disciples. All these people are behind him because they're hearing Jesus say things, and they're like, who is this guy? He teaches with authority. Like how, like, how can we get to know him more? And in the midst of that, Jesus is walking down, and there's a man right in front of him. He gets down on his knees, and this man has leprosy. Now, for us in 2022, that may not actually mean very much, but in, when you look at the first century culture and context In Jewish culture especially, this is very significant that this man would find Jesus. First, it's significant because to have leprosy in that time in that culture meant that you were considered unclean, both physically and spiritually. You could no longer live within the city. You had to live outside of the walls, away from anyone who didn't have the disease that you had. For any one of us who had to quarantine or isolate or live away from people in the last few years, you got a taste of this. It's not good. But with leprosy, this was your life until you got better or you died. The only people you could live with were other people with leprosy who were sick like you were, and it had to be outside of the city. This interaction was also very significant because if you were a healthy person like Jesus was, and you touched a person with leprosy, you were considered unclean as well. There was a social stigma to this disease and a spiritual one. People wouldn't look at you if you had leprosy. You were on the outside in every way. That was your life. So do you have that scene in your mind? People are following Jesus. He's teaching, he walks down the mountainside and a man with leprosy is there on his knees. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Imagine being there that day. If I was in the crowd, you know what I would have thought? I know what I would do. Walk past him. Don't look at him. He shouldn't be here. He's unclean. But Jesus touched him. He said, I am willing. Be made clean. And in a moment, that man was healed what we see displayed in these three verses of Jesus' character is his kindness. In a moment, this man, his entire life was changed by the kindness and tender care of the Savior. Who knows how long he'd been sick? The last time someone touched him, the last time someone spoke to him, even looked at him, men like him were looked past. They were avoided. They were shunned. They were condemned to life in isolation. And in the kindness of Jesus, his humanity is restored because he looks at them, he touches them, and he heals them. This is one of the many times that the kindness of Jesus is on display in the Bible. Over and over again, we see that word. We see krestotes, displayed, deep care and compassion, for people who seek him. And this is the example we have as followers of Jesus. This is kindness at its core. We see this encouragement in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is a a letter the apostle Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus. And they were experiencing a lot of growing pains as a church. There's a lot of different social and spiritual dynamics that were coming together for them as a local body. And toward the end of the letter, Paul begins to lay out for them, okay, this is what life in Christ looks like, okay? It's really clear. Build one another up. Resolve conflicts. Live in unity with one another. But then at the end of chapter 4, he has two verses that really kind of, uh, it's a good diagnostic (laughs) for the church. Look at what it says. Verse 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. The motivation behind our kindness is not just because it's the right thing to do. It's that we, who were once far away from God, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Like that man whose leprosy separated him from full life as a human being. Our sin separates us from God. We've been reconciled to God through faith in what Jesus has done. And a fruit of that reconciliation, of that kindness shown toward us, is kindness shown toward others. You know, this verse in Ephesians, it encourages me. Because while it's true that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, it's something that God brings about in us. It is a, volition, it's an, it's a volitional act. It's a posture of our will. We choose to be kindness or choose to be kind. I mean, look at those words that Paul writes to the Ephesians. He's like, put away bitterness and anger, wrath, shouting, slander, mouth. Do you remember who he's writing to? People like us. This is a church. To fellow believers, this group of people that God is saving and shaping and forming is a mess. (laughs) They're stumbling together, aren't they? Just like us. But they are to pursue kindness and compassion toward one another, forgiving one another, just as God forgave them. It is the same for us today. Throughout the scripture, we see God's kindness lead us to faith in him. We see the kindness of Jesus over and over again in the Gospels. And we see this outworking of kindness in us, people who believe. But what does a life marked by kindness actually look like? How does this fruit of the Spirit grow in us as we believe? You know, I thought about this for myself this week. And just like, what should I be setting my mind on? You know, and there's, there's a few things that I want to try and do that I, I would love for us as a local church body to do as well, as individuals. The first thing I think we should set our mind on is we set our mind on the kindness of God. Remember Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that God's kindness is intended to lead you toward repentance. Think about yourself for a moment. Has that happened? Has the kindness of God led you to an encounter with Jesus to repentance to turning from your sin and to turning toward him in faith because Jesus came to the world he lived a sinless life a life of perfect kindness and compassion toward others and the greatest kindness showed to us by god was jesus taking our sin on the cross and crushing it crushing its power we are forgiven And reconciled because of what Jesus has done. This is the kindness of God seen most clearly in His sending us a perfect Savior. But that's actually not the only way we experience God's kindness. He has compassion and tender care for us as we believe. Where else do you see God's kindness in your life right now? Where have you seen it in the past? Maybe God is sustaining you in a long season of hardship, emotionally, physically, spiritually. That's his kindness. Maybe providing you with friends or fellow believers who know you, who care for you, who are walking alongside you. That is a kindness of God. Maybe it's blessing you with a job or provision during this season. Whatever it is, take time this week to think about the kindness of God in your life and thank him for that kindness. We set our minds on that, the kindness of God. The second thing I think we should set our minds on is our pace of life. Last year, I was really challenged by a book uh, that I read uh, with some friends called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, This is by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor out on the west side of, of the country. And like that title suggests, he addresses how a hurried lifestyle is really a great enemy to those of us who are in Christ. And I underlined a lot of things in this book, but there's one I wanted to share. He said this, hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor, even as a human being, are when I am in a hurry. Late for an appointment, behind my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. When I read that quote, I really think that word love is interchangeable with kindness. Kindness. Because when I am living in a perpetual state of hurry, when I'm always feeling behind, when my days are packed to the gills, my desire and my ability to be kind plummets. (laughs) Because instead of kindness, instead of considering others, I am considering myself. How am I going to get through this day? Now, I know some days are like this, right? This is just part of it. Like we have busy days, but it's when the hurried lifestyle becomes the trend when that is the norm, I'm convinced that our pace of life has a direct impact on this fruit of the Spirit, kindness, coming about in our life. And look no further than Jesus for this. Look at his example in the Gospels. Jesus lived a full life, a more full life than many of us will ever say we could. One where Jesus often needed to rest. He needed to retreat. He went off and prayed. Sometimes the disciples are like, where were you? He's like, I was alone, (laughs) I needed to be alone. But while Jesus' life can be described as intentional and purposeful and others focused, you know what it wasn't? It wasn't frantic, wasn't chaotic, it wasn't hurried. What if we pursued that for ourselves? Set your mind on your pace of life. And how that considers your or how and consider how that impacts your ability to be kind, to experience the kindness of God, but to show kindness toward others. And that's the last thing we set our minds on. We set our mind on serving other people. As people who have been forgiven and redeemed, we begin to represent Jesus all around us. We reflect his kindness toward others. Look around at the people that God has put in your life, your friends. Your coworkers, your neighbors, how would they describe you? When they think about you, do they think, that's a kind person? They just, they're compassionate. Is that how they describe you? You know, I know that question may be difficult to answer because we may not even really know those people that well, our neighbors. <laughs> Or we haven't really gone to that next place with our friends, or even with some of our family or our coworkers, anything like that. Like, I think a great first step would be how can you be present in the lives of those people? Spend time in your front yard, talk to your neighbors, ask your coworkers out for lunch, take time to connect or reconnect with your family. Because it is amazing how God uses simple and faithful acts of kindness to do His will, to do His work in the world. It is incredible to me how kindness is so disarming and can lead people to the Lord. As that professor sat with that letter that she didn't know what to do with, the kindest letter of opposition she ever received, she noticed that at the very bottom of the letter, this pastor had invited her to have a conversation. I'd love to talk through this with you. Talk about her ideas. That pastor's name was Ken Smith. And that invitation turned into a dinner with this professor and his wife, Flory. And that dinner was the first that many that Ken and Flory and and this professor would have together. And over the course of these times, those three people became friends. And it was through this friendship that that professor eventually became a Christian a few years later. That professor's name back in 1997 was Rosaria Champagne. Uh, she's since married, and her name now is Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, maybe you've read books by her. You've heard her speak before. She is an accomplished author and speaker at conferences where she shares that story of how she came to Christ. In each of her books, she writes about Ken and Florey Smith, their faithfulness to her, that first act of kindness, a kind and inquiring letter that became a dinner invica- invitation, that became a friendship, that became the foundation in which Rosaria's life was changed by the gospel. Her story is told in greater detail in chapter one of her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English professor's journey into Christian faith. And I love what she writes about this process of becoming a Christian for her. She writes this, My Christian life unfolded as I was just living my life, my normal life. In the normal course of life, questions emerged that exceeded my secular feminist worldview. Those questions sat quietly in the crevices of my mind until I met a most unlikely friend, a Christian pastor. Had a pastor named Ken Smith not shared the gospel with me for years and years, over and over again, not in some used car salesman kind of way, but in an organic, spontaneous, and compassionate way. Those questions might still be lodged in the crevices of my mind, and I might never have met the most unlikely of friends, Jesus Christ himself. This is kindness. This is tender concern. It's compassion for another. And what I love about Rosaria Butterfield's story is not only how powerful and encouraging it is, but really how ordinary it seems. Her journey of faith began with the faithfulness of someone she considered an enemy, a pastor. But it was through him and his wife's kindness and their faithfulness that she met the most unlikely of friends, Jesus himself, this is kindness. This is what the spirit produces in us. As we grow in faith, where can we be kind? When we remember God's kindness toward us, how it's led us to repentance. When our pace of life makes time for other people. And when we commit to using that margin in that time to show others kindness, it's in these very ways that we look like Jesus, that our lives are marked by the kindness of Jesus himself and how we reflect him so clearly to the world around us. Let's pray. Well, Father, first, I just, God, I want to thank you for your kindness that you showed towards me. when I was 15 years old, how your kindness led me to see my sin clearly, to recognize its impact, how my relationship with you was, was severed because of my sin. God, it is only your kindness that led me to repentance. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for leading me here to this, to this family of people, Riverview Church. God, as we, as we think about your kindness, how it's led us, to repentance or maybe how it's leading us toward repentance right now. God, I pray that you help us to trust you. That you help us to look at Jesus in the Gospels and all the kindness, all of his mercy and compassion shown towards people. God, I pray that you can help us look like that. Live like that. Slow down if we need to. But God, we thank you that kindness can be so disarming that it can cause people to consider you, who you are, what you've done for us. God, as we consider your kindness this morning, I pray that you help us be very grateful for how you've led us to you and how you continue to sustain us with your kindness in our everyday lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.